Hello and welcome to episode 50 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. Rod Murray manning the tiller as we unpack a big and it would seem important week at the US Open. Is Bryson DeChambeau the game changer many are predicting after capturing his first major or is it a storm in a teacup? And those of us who think hitting distance is a problem in the game are simply the chicken littles of our generation. We'll tease that out over the next hour or so, and if we have the time and opportunity, we might also make mention of a story from a Sydney newspaper this week, the suggestion that Royal Sydney have amended their plans. They were to remove more than 500 trees from the property during an upcoming Gillhands restoration. They've now reduced that plan number by 100 Big questions to consider there and interesting times for golf in cities across the world. Before we come to all that and before I introduce today's special in-studio guest, let me say a big hello to regular co-host, connoisseur of all things path, Adrian Logue. Logue, a big week watching events unfold from Wingfoot for you, no doubt. You look a little bit tired. Did you get much sleep? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I only watched. I, it was 2 a.m. it started in Australia most days, I think, or 1 a.m. Yeah, might have been this morning. Stuff, yeah. So I didn't get up that Even early. Even I wasn't up. I'm not an idiot, so I got up at you know, a normal sort Were of time and watched delay? the end of it. Were you, did I send you a text the other day and you said, I'm watching on delay, I haven't seen that bit yet? Is that what you were doing? Yeah, when I open up the app, I usually just dial it back a few, like, oh, 10 minutes or so, so I can skip the ads. Good thing. See? Smart. Hey, noggin up here. I should take more notice of you. Yep. So lots of interest there. We'll be looking forward to getting your thoughts as we go. Lots of interest generated by DeChambeau, as I said. Questions both big and small now looming in light of his achievements. Among those who will be taking a keen interest in the result and any ongoing fallout is the editor of Golf Australia magazine, Brendan James. There are harder jobs in the world than being in charge of a big entity in a niche media space, but few are as complex. BJ, looking forward to chatting all things golf with you today. Pleasure to be here, Rob. Let's start with some knee-jerk reactions. Beach, you first. Bryson DeChambeau is the US Open champion, and Bryson DeChambeau isn't just another golfer. We know he's this polarising figure who bulked up during the lockdown quite unbelievably and came out from being a mid-range hitter to one of the longest hitters with a funky-looking new action, which doesn't look anything like the great elegant golf swings of the past. This will be one of the most talked-about wins, I'm sure, in recent years. What was your take on BDC? Uh, my take was that it was uh, – he was always going to be in the story at some stage getting towards the pointy end of that tournament from Tuesday on. Mm-hmm. Why? Uh, Why? Well, the way the course was set up with that – you know, we saw images earlier in the week with you know, guys dropping golf balls into the rough and – putting cans of drink in there to show how t- how deep the rough was. Um, the guys who were going to hit it as far down, no matter where it was, anywhere on the planet, um, to get within short iron range were always going to figure in the result. And we saw, obviously, DeChambeau won. Um, we saw Wolf, who's, who's a long hitter. He was in the reckoning. Dustin Johnson came back into reckoning today. He's finished, what, tied fifth or something? Something, yeah. Um, so those guys were always going to figure in the result. So there's no surprises, and it just goes to show that that course, that kind of course setup, is just going to favour the long hitters. And we were talking off air before we started about Scott Simpson. You know, the likes of Scott Simpson. You know, the U.S. Open specialist who hits it fairly straight, hits a lot of greens. They're fast becoming extinct. Mm-hmm. That's right. I think it was Sandy Tatum who said that uh, we were trying to identify the best Scott Simpson amongst, <laughs> amongst the players. They've, they've failed. They've failed. Sandy Tatum would be spinning in his grave. What was your uh, what's your knee-jerk reaction? Like, he, as I said, he's a polarising figure, DeChambeau, and I think it would be fair to say, well, certainly I'll declare I'm not a fan of yep. his style of play or his public persona. He grates me, and I'm sure he grates on a lot of people. Uh, but having said that, he's won the US Open, fair and square. So what do we say about that? Well, actually, my daughter had a reaction when she was just walking past the TV the other day. She saw the golf, and she said, why is that bloke so stiff? <laughs> like, he doesn't look like he's Awkward, sort of putting set up in particular, yeah. And then she saw him sort of walking along, and she, and she said, and he looks like... It, I don't know. I'm actually not sure if I can repeat what she said. But she she said he looks like not a nice person. I'll say. Um, What's but then next week he she, kind of. She want to spot on the panel? <laughs> she, she, she can <laughs> just bring her along. Um, and she also said, and golf is incredibly slow, isn't it? 
but, and which was a very good point as well. But anyway, but besides Bryson DeChambeau and everybody's going to have talk that to death, I, I think back to my comments on the show last week about the way it was set up and that it was going to be a bad look for golf. And I think that was all true. Like, with all due respect. You to, agree with yourself? I agree with who myself. Would have, who would have I ever picked that? I vehemently agree with myself. <laughs> I mean, with all due respect to the esteemed members at Wingfoot and the hardworking green staff who must have worked you know, very hard to produce that that result, the buffoons at the USGA <laughs> have, have just stuffed this thing up again. This type of US Open, I think, is just an anachronism. It's It's the type of US Open that was appropriate for the Scott Simpson era. But now it's been shown to be an anachronism, the way the game's played these days. It just doesn't work anymore. And and why am I upset at the USGA about that? It's it's because it's just not a good look for golf. Um, it was a boring tournament. You mean in, in the bigger it could have just as easily been an exciting tournament. I think that's sort of out of everybody's control. We see that every single time with these setups. It doesn't really matter what course it's played on. You can play it on Bell Reeve and get an incredibly exciting tournament. But... It's just that it's a bad look for golf. This lush rough per square metre must be the most expensive type of hazard you could possibly imagine to have that groomed rough. It must be more expensive than bunkers. It's probably more expensive than water. I mean, water's just sitting there. You don't have to fertilise it and mow it all the time. Uh, and we know, we I sent you a tweet um, about Rainbird, the, the company who does the, the irrigation system, bragging about... Uh, the irrigation that's in at Wingfoot, they say it's one of the largest irrigation systems in the world at Wingfoot. 5,400 Rainbird rotors, the things that spin around, which I'm sure are very environmentally friendly rotors, <laughs> but 5,400 of them to irrigate that place. And the irrigation lines go right out into the rough. It's like, it looks like, I'm looking at this diagram, it looks like they're four wide or five wide, five rows of irrigation on some holes to get it right out into the rough. And... Uh, that's just a terrible look for golf. And it, it just doesn't look good either, in my opinion. It's all hyper green. That's, of course, subjective. There are people who think it looks fantastic and that it's wonderful. So it, those defined edges, though, you see, as soon as you've got that lush rough, you can't drive a cart or anything through it because the tyre marks look terrible. It's just it's it's a look that's spoiled so easily. Are you campaigning for carts now? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I, I'm concerned this course would have looked its best. It would have looked that ideal that everybody's talking about before all the tournament infrastructure right. was coming in. But the moment you put, like, the TV cabling out or something like that, it just ruins the look completely. It's a look that's unattainable because anything short of that absolute perfection actually looks goes completely the other way and starts to look terrible. It's really bad because of what it's if standing you, next If you to. scar the perfection yeah, yeah. in any way, yeah. it, it just goes it completely the, the other direction. The there's, some, there's some big picture stuff there that's beyond golf, but there's some golf questions, I think, which we should probably being a golf podcast, we'll consider some of those as well. Here's a quote for you, Beach. Tell me what your instant response to this is. I'm not going to stop, said DeChambeau. I'm assuming this came from his press conference. Next week, I'm going to be trying a 48-inch driver. We're going to be messing with some head designs and do some amazing things with Cobra to make it feasible to hit these drives, maybe 360, 370 yards, maybe even further. I don't know. There's a lot of young guns that are unbelievable players, and I think the next generation that's coming up into golf, hopefully... We'll see this and go, hey, I can do that too. <laughs> what do you think about that? Well, he can. The governing bodies are allowing that to happen. Mm -hmm. and You mean the buffoons at the US Chair? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> you've gone all huggy on us. <laughs> it's been allowed to, to evolve like that. Mm -hmm. The game has been allowed to evolve like that. So he's within the rules, more within the rules than... Another gentleman will talk about uh, tapping down grass behind his ball. Was he um, within the rules when he was taking that drop from the sprinkler, which wasn't even in his line? It's just I'm, I'm churlishness just, being displayed. It is, it is questionable. But look, look, to give DeChambeau his due, you know, we saw the images of him out on the range working out mm -hmm. a, a shot to get him, you know, that he could rely on under pressure down the stretch. He worked until eight eight thirty at night. You, you got to give him his due. He worked hard, hmm. and all the workouts stuff, everything he's done with his body and his swing, all hard work, absolutely, all hard work. And he is playing within the, the rules set down by the governing bodies, which there are no rules apart from uh, trampoline effect on the driver. That's it, which was set in place 
15 years ago. 19, yeah, yeah, quite a long time ago. You know, so he's playing within the rules. He's, he's answering the questions that are being asked the best. That's what he's done this week. He so, is He is now the. He's now a Ferrari in a Volkswagen race. I had a different comparison. I feel like he's he's the guy. He's like the Kobayashi of <laughs> the uh, Nathan's of your, hot dogs. This is one of your highlights, and it will be again this time. For those who might have missed it the first time around, <laughs> talk us through the hot dog disaster of their uh, world championships. Well, in the the Nathan the annual Nathan Nathan's hot dogs eating contest, I the, assume they're a brand, are they? They are. We're open for sponsorship, Nathan. That's if right. you're uh, if you want to be a part of it, the winners would typically be just your average bloke who could give it a good go, right. you know, just turn up and... Blokes like us. They, they, they probably had breakfast that day and then they turn That's up right. and they've still got a big appetite. They can just put away a fair few hot dogs. Uh, but a young Japanese man by the name of Kobayashi trained for it and showed what the limits of human endurance can withstand <laughs> and actually set a completely new world record, which was just like way... Like your average, average guy who was winning it before would be you know 15 20 hot dogs Ugh. or something kobe actually came in and just smashed that like like 50 55 hot dogs something like that in how long in 10 minutes that's just staggering yeah. but he had all sorts of techniques with like he, he's the he was the mad scientist of hot dogs eating like he worked out single you know, length hot dogs. how much water to take for each hot dog and how to smush the buns to fit them in your mouth and all this sort of thing so he he'd done all the timing done a lot of training and just changed the game and now even kobayashi's records uh, you know, 10, 15 years on, uh, obsolete. And Bryson has done that with golf. He's just looked at it and thought, well, there's there's boundaries here that I can push. And he's gone ahead and done it. And that's it just has to happen in every sport. It happened in, I think we talked about last time, it happened in basketball. It happens in swimming and track and field all the time. I, I was looking at some swimming records the other day, not to get too distracted, but I was looking at some swimming records. And in the UK, the UK have really good records for this. There was a 15-year-old who's one of the top swimmers in the country at the moment. He's swimming currently about 50 seconds for the 100 metres freestyle. That would have been the world record by a good second or two up until almost 1980. Wow. And that's a 15-year-old. So uh, The world record now is like five seconds better. And that's that. true. That, those who say that distance isn't a problem in the game and that it's, you know, why do people get upset about it? All of that's true in human endeavour in all facets. The difference with golf is... And it's what gets overlooked. The golf course plays a critical part in the result. Far more so than a pool, because all 50-metre pools are essentially the same. Don't at me about how different water does different stuff. I'm sure there are slight differences, but essentially pools are the same. Tennis courts are the same dimensions wherever you go. Cricket ovals, for the most part, fall into a range that's fairly close together. Golf courses play an integral and unique part in the actual competition. And when you change the parameters of the human performance through equipment, as we've done, you change that interaction with the course. So the question becomes, is that for the betterment of the game or not? Now, I think it's pretty clear that the three of us sitting here would say, we don't think it is. And there's a lot of other people who say, we don't think it is. But why is that? Why does that argument not make sense to some people, Beach? Why do some people just say, it's a good thing, let them hit it as far as they like? In fact, there was a, I'm sure there was a rep from a club-making company that might have been Mike Clayton mentioned to me, who he had heard say... Publicly and out loud, we want to get to 400 yards. Can't wait to see the first 400-yard drive in a tournament. And we'll see that. It certainly looks well, 360 to 370 next week, apparently. And the way to combat that is complete flip side to the way the USGA does it at the US Open. If someone can come out and hit it 400 yards, the last thing you want to do is... Make provide a, a sticky land, landing strip. Mm-hmm. So if you hit a 400 yards in the rough, you still only got a little gap wedge into most greens. But if you get rid of all of that long rough, the number of times I actually I fantasized looking at some of the overhead aerial shots of that golf course mm-hmm. and fantasized about them being no rough, have it all short, firm, Fairway grass all the way into the trees. Augusta like. August well, yeah, Augusta still still yeah. had to grow a little bit. But to have complete so that the Let it play, the player has no control over where that ball's gonna go once it hits the ground. Now once it hits the ground and it's off into the trees, well then 
they're going to have to fashion some sort of shot. They would so, have been in the trees a lot more, right? Exactly. If, if the ball could have run. Well, it would have that. brought 97% of the bloody bunkers at that golf course were in the, in the rough. Yep, yep. How many times did a ball bounce in the rough and then jump back into the fairway? What's with, are they like bumpers? Sort of couple, but yeah, oh, too many. At least two then. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but that, right. They also act as bumpers around but you, the You wonder, to, well. it's going to have the effect of two things. You have If you have wider fairways... Firm fairways, yeah. bringing all the trees in the fairway bunkers into play. One, the players are going to dial it back. They're going to be hitting more throughwoods, more long irons, well, not long irons, hybrids, off the fairway to keep it from running. To play for a, a part of the fairway. Play for a part of the fairway. And those greens have been designed to take in shots from all sorts of angles, but we didn't see that. Mm-hmm. The second thing is the players are then going to find themselves having to fashion hooks and cuts to get out of those trees and they're going to demand from the ball companies a ball that spins more but at the moment all we're doing is all the usga are doing and and the pga tour is playing into the hands of the guys who hit it longer and that's all it is it's just a it's just a blast fest and it might have still been bryson who won but it would have been a remarkably different tournament well, his strategy would have been remarkably different. Yeah. Now, if he takes that, if he takes that game to, if he takes that game to Canoosti two years ago, mm-hmm. where it was it was lightning fast, and we saw Kepka first day, and I think Johnson on the first day, both went out and said, "I'm going to hit driver everywhere," mm-hmm. and they got caught out by because the ball they had no control over the golf ball, um, and then they had to dial it in for rounds two and three. You don't, you don't see a lot of diabolical shots at a course set up like winged foot, do you? Like, you go to Royal Melbourne and you watch golf and blokes hit it in places that are diabolical. You cannot see as an amateur golf out there's any way out and half of the pros can't see how there's any way out and you because, see a lot of doubles because the, ball, the ball runs away. Because the balls don't have brakes. It comes off the green and it runs no. away. That's exactly right. But, because, but six-inch rough is as good a yeah. disc brakes as you can find yeah, for a golf ball. That's yeah, right. Indeed. And, and just on that, the I, I've got on my set of clubs – I'm hitting my, – my clubs most of the year are playing off these mushy, spongy, grassy lies with clay base and they're pristine on the soles. I've got one club which has a scra- big, ugly scratch on the sole. You know where I got that scratch? Royal Melbourne. <laughs> where, there's, where you go off the fairway and the, the grass breaks up into, like, into sand Great. and then you go beyond that and it goes to sort of good old Melbourne hard pan and you've got rocks and stuff to contend with. The only scrape I've ever gotten my clubs, I've had them for like, I don't know, six years or something, is uh, at Royal Melbourne. And, you know, the rest of the time I'm hitting off this mushy, grassy, uh, you know, sloppy, wet clay lies where, where people are trying to Not a lot of Sydney can do about that in, in fairness. No, but it raises the, the question, what do you do about these parkland courses? And, and again, it gets back to the, this is why this is such a bad look for golf, is this is the default that people think you've got to do for a parkland course is you've got no choice. You don't have heather. Is there's no natural sort of heather to put in the rough there. It's not sandy base, so it doesn't break up nicely into an attractive looking uh, non-playing surface. So you have to sort of make it playing surface all the way to the tree line. And actually, and frankly, mowing it all the way to the tree line is probably pretty expensive. Although they have to mow that rough pretty often to keep it all nicely trimmed. So what do you do? Well, it's already irrigated. That's right. It's already irrigated. It's <laughs> irrigated, fertilised. You've got to. It's just incredibly it's just, costly to just, maintain all of that area, which isn't a lot of it's just not even playing playing area. I don't think they're struggling. <laughs> no, <laughs> not struggling. The esteemed but, members. But don't that, you don't uh, you think that it would have been that, that the highlights package rather than you know overrun with guys holding putts from fifteen feet would be so much better if there's guys hitting. Massive cuts and and, and interesting hooks, chip interesting chip the, shots. The most interesting chip using shot more than a more than a more than a lob wedge for a chip shot. Well, the most interesting chip shot all week was a Hideki Matsuyama chipping in from the putting surface because he had to go over a hump. That's a preview of what every chip shot would have been like around that course if it wasn't for the long rough around the greens. We yeah. would have been seeing that on almost every chip shot, and it would have been fascinating. And the other time we saw it was when you mentioned Tiger. 
uh, didn't make the green on 18. I think, yeah, he had the Ogilvy pitch on 18. Yeah. I didn't see it, but I read a couple of people said that, and he duffed it. I think it came back to his feet. So There would have been a lot more of that as well. Well, that the, the thing about that is that wouldn't have happened had he been in the long rough there. He'd have taken a full swing with a lob wedge and hit it 25 feet past the whole two-putter to made his bogey. Probably same result, ultimately, but a lot less interesting to watch. Yeah. And someone like Woods has to make a decision about a club. Does he run it up the hill with a putter or even a even a fairway wood? He was the one who pulled the fairway wood at Pinehurst a few years back, started the trend in that shot back in the... the Anywhere the within 20 metres of the greens there, asked no questions. No, that's right. No. They asked one question. It just the asked same question, question, which they how, all know how to you know, answer. And even like, even between the greenside bunkers and, and the green surface itself... You've got this this high rough, so there was never a danger for any ball that was being, you know, skittled up the green from from out of the long rough. Yep. ever running into a bunker. No, it's just one of those ones that end like a foot off the green, and they all know how to play that shot. It it takes some skill, and it's a bit do fluky. It. I can't I do mean, it. It's a bit <laughs> fluky. You don't get well, they get, the to, play, they get to play that shot every week. Yeah, but they play that shot every week. And they're very good at it, and it, you know, Patrick Reed can sort of fluff the line a little bit. So <laughs> that, we'll we'll play it back, even better. We'll come back to Patrick. I know that. Someone here wants to have their say about that, which is uh, fair enough. The bigger question, though, this this seems so obvious to so many of us, it's staring us in the face. Why don't the USGA and the RNA do something about it? It struck me this morning, Logue. The, the USGA and the RNA, their 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 purview, their mission is about the game, and that when it bumps up against the business of golf, which isn't really their thing, though it's kind of their thing as well. We saw a car parked on the tenth hole, so there was going to be a prize for a hole in one because their sponsor is Lexus. I don't recall seeing that before at a US Open. No, I was a bit. I was wondering. It was that, quite that confronting onto the course. Yeah, quite confronting for a lot of people, I think. But so you can see, when when business and dollars butt up against that, you know, the accepted wisdom is the reason they don't just change the rules is because the manufacturers will sue, and because of what happened with the ping case back in the eighties, that the manufacturers will win. That's the fear. What do you make of all of that? They've got two competing uh, customer bases almost. Is it a solvable problem? Well, I guess it's worth remembering that the USGA and the RNA are there to serve all golfers, and I think the vast majority of golfers are actually well served. Just just to toe the party line for a sec, like the, who cares about professional golf? It's it's just that professional well, golf is governed are, are by the same rules. People less and less interested in professional golf. Well, there's this very I think we've got this window over the next ten years where. Professional golf will continue to recognise those governing bodies as their governing body, but that window will close and they'll just go, we, we don't care anymore. We'll just govern ourselves. If We're- the USGA and the RNA announced tomorrow that they'd change the rules and the parameters for the ball, who here believes that any of the manufacturers would immediately sign up and start manufacturing equipment to those rules? I don't, and I think they would get the support of the PGA Tour in saying, well, that's their rules. We're going to have our own rules. That's yeah, what I think that, would that's, happen. That's the PGA Tour has never yeah. wanted to do that because it's an expensive business to get into, a business that they really don't want any part of. It's much, 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 much easier to have somebody to blame with the rules. It's the greatest thing in the world. Anything that happens with the rules, hey, not our fault. We're playing by the USGA rules. But if push comes to shove, when the manufacturers say to the players on the PGA Tour, well, they've changed the rules, we don't agree with them, we, we think that we can win the public over by doing what we've been doing, the players will say to the PGA Tour, which is a player's organisation, this is what we want you to do. We want you to back us. Then I think that's what – and that schism in the game is not, I don't think, going to be good for the game. Certainly not in the short term uh, and probably not in the medium term. I don't no, think the interests in the longer that drive term. that mm-hmm. aren't in the best interests of the fans, I don't think. And, uh, you know, there's there's us as golfers, and I do think we're well served by the governing bodies in that respect. Golf, Golf's a lot of we're fun. Gov- we're only most governed part. because we agree to be governed. Yeah, that's right. And um, look, somebody's got to look after the rules and they, they do an okay job. You know, everyone's going to disagree on some of the fine points of the rules, but, you know, they just keep refining it. And, and I think the hand- world handicap system has been very well. Good you as would well. say that, wouldn't I would. you? <laughs> but, um, the, uh, and, and those are the big things. Those are the things that affect 99.99% of golfers and we should care more about those things, to be honest. Um, but as fans, as you know, most of those golfers are also fans of professional golf. That that's the stuff that we all—that's the battleground <laughs> that everybody complains about. And uh, yeah, I feel like they've lost their chance. Well, it's the shot window, isn't they it? They might even take action now, yeah. but it'll—it could just be ignored. The PGA Tour has become so powerful that they can just absolutely ignore what the governing bodies say at this point. So, but the governing bodies, as we've discussed earlier, when when they present a tournament like this. And it rewards one type of player, then the equipment companies 
uh, why wouldn't they be just looking to capitalise with equipment that hits the ball further? Yeah. Because most of, I would say, ninety nine percent of their marketing to Joe Public is based around their professionals, and Joe Public wants to use what the professionals are using. Now, if they change their whole setup of events, now the RNA in setting up for the Open Championship do a pretty good job. Year in, year out. There's been the odd blips along the way with green speeds at St Andrews in 2015, Canoosti in 99 when they turned it into wing foot, <laughs> yeah, essentially. True. Um, so looking at that and you see the excitement that certain shots create and you only have to look at YouTube views. The, the, the most number of YouTube views for special shots are escape shots. It's never the tee shots. It's never it's never the 390-yard tee shot. It's the cutting a ball 50 yards around trees from a fairway bunker, a la Tiger, a couple of years ago, with the helicopter finish. That's what excites people. Pitching that's it. what draws people into the game. And ultimately, that's what draws sponsors into tournaments, into tours, is that, that excitement level. But... There was no excitement at wing foot. You know, you can t- you can talk about the fans not being there and building the excitement level, but there was there was no one shot apart from Hideki's chip in that got me going. Wow, that's awesome. And there was no Morikawa moment, was there? Like we had at the PGA Sunday. No, that driver to the to the powerful. And that, while that course was set up with with long rough, there was a certain width to that golf course which actually created angle. To that led to strategy. Not as much as you would like, but certainly more than it was available at wing mm. foot. So why does it matter? Why should we care? Uh, why is it? Why is it important? Well, I think it's it's creating a game that is not attainable or not like we can all go and we can all get teed up in the the Saturday comp and see blokes chopping it out of long long grass, we don't have to sit in front of the TV for three hours to see the same thing. Do they have spotters, 12 spotters <laughs> out on every hole at Saturday comp? But That's an indictment, isn't it? You tee it up in the Saturday comp, you're never going to see, unless you play with a, a really good player, you're never going to see them crafting and, and creating shots, um, which the pros aren't allowed to do anymore because that – side of the game's gone. It's not that they don't have the skill. This, and this is the other thing. That's you right. Know, they've got the skill. You've got a lot of people who think that those of us who think the ball goes too far are taking some sort of shot at the players no. and that we don't acknowledge their athleticism and the skill. That's nonsense. I actually think, and I must have said this ad nauseum, we're the real victims because we don't get to see the players show the skills That's that right. they do That's right. As have. fans, we don't get to see the thing. But I also think golf, these these things, and the USGA, I think, recognised this for a time. Um, I, I actually think the Mike Davis Mike Davis setups will be looked upon eventually in the fullness I, of time I do too. as being on the right track. And innovative. And this thing is an anachronism. It's a and it's and a flat, flat it's flat. just a bad look for golf having this like this being your showcase as the governing body in, in America in particular, where they've got the biggest they face in the biggest problems with an image about golf. You do, this is not what you want to be putting on the world stage as what golf is the ideal of golf. Like it's quite this, lazy too, isn't it? Really, it's a very lazy way to set it's up a, golf. Yeah, course. it's a lazy, it's cowardly way, way to yeah. set it up. And, and if you if you go back, I mean, into your own memory bank of great shots that have been played, I only go back the last twenty years in majors. They either occur at the Masters mm-hmm. or, the or at the Open mm-hmm. because short, firm. Grass is in play until Morikawa at the PGA. Yeah, and that was a drivable part. It was, and it was, was, a it was teed up, and yeah, yeah. One day we'll solve all of golf's problems, and then the world will be a more united and happier place for everybody, golfers and non-golfers alike. But until that day comes, all we can do is focus on the now. And right now is the best time to do your bit to support the Talk and Golf Network and our biggest supporter, thegolfsociety.com.au. The Golf Society is Australia's best and perhaps only online apparel concept store. 
stocking only the top names in golf fashion and accessories. From Cross, Travis, Matthew and Hugo Boss in clothing to Adidas, Puma and G4 in shoes, the Golf Society has you covered. And best of all, there's a $25 discount for Talking Golf listeners on their first purchase. Just head to thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash Golf. that's the important part, Talking Golf, and grab something new to keep you looking your best on the course this spring. Now, back to Brendan James and solving the world's golf problems. What about some of those bigger issues? Logs sort of alluded to it there, Beach. We talk about this endlessly on this show. Golf has an image problem outside of golf. This ties into this Royal Sydney thing. Royal Sydney want to redesign their golf course. Gil Hands is doing it. That's going ahead. Part of the plan was to remove, I think it's 569 trees, which was contentious. A lot of local residents didn't think that was a terrific idea, uh, as you'd imagine. There's been a number of stories in the, uh, the local paper here in Sydney, the Sydney Morning Herald. There was a story in there yesterday, I think it was. I've only read half of it, in fairness, but basically the Royal Sydney have amended their plans. They're going to take out 100 less trees. That's now the plan than they were planning to. When golf bumps up against the rest of the community in these environmental sort of discussions, that's when I think it gets important what winged foot looks like here on television in Australia and in the UK. That's what people think golf is, isn't it? Talk a bit about the importance beyond just the golf questions we've been discussing about, whether we find it interesting the way Bryson plays the game. Non-golfers couldn't give a rat how Bryson DeChambeau plays the game. But they do care that golf courses take up massive amounts of land, use massive amounts of resources. True. Um, In relation to Royal Sydney, I think that – the issue there is the difference between indigenous vegetation and and non-natives. Which and, hasn't been mentioned in any of the stories I've read, by the way. Yeah. So my well, my limited knowledge of the of the Gil Hance redesign plan is that most of the non-natives were going to be taken away and taken out. And they actually brought in Harley Cruz to to do uh, a plan for, you know, beautifying the golf course, um, which involved planting. Indigenous plants. Indigenous plants. The property. Which in belong fact, on the property. They're going to plant more than they took out. Like yeah. They're putting in 700, taking out 500. Yeah. So that that has conveniently been left out of all the mainstream stories. We've both been tabloid journos, Burge. We know how this works. That's a pretty simple story. Yeah. Those rich buggers at Royal Sydney think they can get away with doing whatever they want. And here's a group of environmental locals who stood up to them and stopped them. That's a simple headline, a dog bites man. Yeah. But that I mean, the reason why that property was chosen in the first place by the club back in the day was it had very few trees on it. It was covered in sand and ideal for golf. And so all those committees that come along over the years and plant trees, a lot of them are non-native. Mm-hmm. They're not. They haven't really done anything to the property since. So they've yeah they've redesigned holes, but they've always worked around the trees around the trees that have, that have now been there for a significant amount of time. Have overgrown, and they're not native. Well, they're not indigenous. Well, they're yeah, not indigenous. The Morton Bay figs yeah. and some melaleucas. I think they've they've sort of agreed to keep, but. Yeah, they're not necessarily of that region. How many golfers do you think consider this when they read that story? There's a f- there wasn't a massive amount of outrage, but a couple of people tweeted that link to me and commented on that link, golfers saying, you know, there was a couple of themes to that. One, uh, why do councils have any say in what goes on on a private property of a golf course? Well, that's always been the case. I think councils have always had a say in what you do with your trees around your house, et cetera, et cetera. Amazing concern the average golfer has for the, yeah, the so, Royal so, Sydney members. Certainly, that's right. But, yeah. then, but then the other one is, you know, don't they understand anything about golf and, and why golf, why trees aren't a great thing for the playing of golf? Yeah. That's just well, not going to cut it with that's right. Non-golfers don't care. Yeah, they don't care. They don't and understand it. Why they don't would care. they? Yeah. Why would they? And, and golf has to answer the tougher questions like, okay, so you're going to take trees out for your silly game, okay, what are you replacing it with? Oh, this monoculture of grass from edge to edge. Hmm. Well, that doesn't sound real good. But, uh, we feel like we're losing as a community. Yeah, exactly. Um, that- and, oh, you're putting in some nice ferns and stuff, but it's losing canopy. And they give all those arguments, which are probably just as ill-reasoned and uneducated in a lot of cases. But uh, we don't have good answers for the really tough questions like, why are you planting so much grass? Why do you need sub-air systems? Why do you need more rows of irrigation? Well, you don't. You don't. If, you if, don't. I, if I'm living in Rose Bay 
Good luck with that. Have you seen what it costs to live in Rose Bay? If I'm living in Rose Bay, I'm doing <laughs> then, all right. Yeah, then you're not sitting here, trust me. Now, if I'm living in Rose Bay and without any knowledge whatsoever, they remove 10 trees that line the 10th fairway at Royal Sydney Golf Club, I'm neither – I'm none the wiser. No. Now, it's not going to change the atmosphere. It's not going to change anything for me living in Rose Bay. So I can't quite understand when parts of the community in Rose Bay go, well, they're going to remove all these trees. Oh, it's it's an outrage because it's not going to change anything. No, though I've got to say my natural instinct is to almost side with the people who are saying, hang on a minute, what do you think you're doing? Just, you know, clear felling trees in our it would district. Be, it would be different if it was a public golf course. Yes. That allowed people to walk through it. Yes. Then I would say, well, hang on a minute. This is this is our asset, belongs to this, all of us. This and belongs to all of us. Golf's only a part of it. Whose job is it to tell these stories then? Golf has done a horrible job of doing it, not through any reasons other than we are completely immersed in talking to ourselves about whether Bryson DeChambeau is good for the game. We in golf don't seem to get around to talking to non-golf, do we, about this stuff. And whilst we read the story in the Herald and say what they haven't mentioned is, whose job is it to actually put that side of the story, Logue? Well, I think we've probably got to stop quoting Harry Colt, unfortunately. Like, <laughs> Sorry, Harry. All that sort of stuff. Like, you know, trees don't belong on the stage. It's fine. Like, we've, we've actually made the golf reason. We're speaking to golfers when we were talking about that stuff, and we've made that argument really well. There's, you, And then you still won't get every golfer agreeing, but still, those arguments are well made. Um, so The ones it, about trees not having a place in golf, you mean? Yeah, that's yes, right. right. So, but it's with as people who look after golf courses, you know, committees and and governing bodies. So, Golf Australia in this case, uh, and Golf New South Wales, and and the committees at Royal Sydney, they've got to be good stewards of that land because golf has a lot to answer for with regards having these playgrounds to to play in, and uh, we've got to not just look after it, but we've got to. We've got to be, be seen to be looking after it. Um, and that means people looking over the fence don't see hyper green um, checkerboard fairways or something. You know, it's just, it's got to be, it would help to tear down some fences as well and let more people in. But uh, that's that's another, that's a whole other thing. But um, at, at least even, even have your private club. There'll always be a place for private clubs, but open it up once a year or something, you know, just, do do something that involves other people that shows and, and start to show them how you're a good steward of the land and actually be a good steward of that land as well. But Does, does golf and golfers generally, Beach, want to be a part of communities enough? Royal Melbourne does a terrific job, particularly on that um, horticultural side. They have those amazing native plants that don't exist anywhere else on the Melbourne sand belt anymore except that Royal Melbourne. And they well, same work, Kingston Heath. Kingston Heath, and they work with the local nursery there and they have the big open day once a year and they give free access to botanists and horticulturists who want to come and study this stuff. Is there enough of that in golf? I feel like all too often it becomes binary and that golf bears as much and golfers bear as much responsibility for that as non-golfers. Well, you've got to remember golfers are part of the community as well. So, you know, the, the, the community-minded golfer, Mm-hmm. Certainly interested in, in developing those those interactions, but and, and I'm sure they're happening. We just don't know about them. I mean, we 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 know about Royal Melbourne. We know about Kingston Heath. They're two of the most high profile world clubs in the golf courses. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know, I'm sure it's happening, but we just don't know about. We it. don't acknowledge it enough and, and promote it enough. Because we're distracted by the game, aren't we? <laughs> the, the playing of the game and the clubs and the balls and the courses and and all of that stuff that goes along with the game. Back to Bryson quickly. I wanted to get your take on this, page. This is from Rory. This is Rory's quote about Bryson's win. I think it's brilliant, but I think he's taken advantage of where the game is at the minute. With the way he approaches it, arm lock, putting and everything, I'm not saying that's right or wrong. You're saying it's wrong. He's just, <laughs> he's just <laughs> taking advantage of what we have right now, I tend to agree with Logue. Anytime you hear somebody say, look, I'm not saying it's right or wrong, what they're saying is I think it's wrong, but I don't want to say so outright. Um, 
How do you think this win will be seen amongst the game, back to that internal golf discussion and what golf's about to golfers? There was not a lot of... um, I didn't watch the entire, but I'm guessing there wasn't a lot of players standing around waiting to congratulate Bryson at the end. I don't think he's super popular. Well, not in these times of COVID. But uh, look, as I said before, he's playing within the rules. So while the rules are, saying too, you know, while the rules are the rules of the day, he's playing within them. Um, it's just uh, when when you promote an event like the U.S. Open as one that rewards, you know, accuracy, and the guy that's finishing twenty third or twenty fourth on the list of greens hit or fairways hit wins it by six. What are you, 23 of 56, I think? 23 of 56, fair? Mm. Something like yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Like Sun Jae Im. Oh, was second in fairways hit, first in greens and regulation, and finished down the pecking order. Spare a thought for Brendan Todd. As and well. Brendan Todd. The, the Scott Simpson of our era. <laughs> <laughs> well, as, as I mentioned before, Scott Simpsons are extinct. Yeah. Or on their way out completely. Is Danny Lee the Steve Paint in there? Oh, the that was, the, the footage came out. Did no, you I, did see it? I didn't see the footage. I've only read about it. The, the six putt from four feet. Is yeah. that what happened? And then injured his wrist um, dealing with his putter, if we could if we could put it that way, and had to withdraw from the yeah. the tournament. Yeah. And still apparently got 10000 Yeah, I think you get uh, the paid. The prize money. Oh, okay. You get paid even if you miss the cut these days, don't I you? I thought the they majors? were giving them. Oh, I would have fined him $10,000. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think you get paid if you miss the cut. Yeah, he was a mate. You got to cover your expenses to get. Yeah, the oh, well, he made no, no, no. He made the cut. And no, I know, but yeah, the, yeah, yeah. That's but right. withdrew because he. So he probably got the missed the cut toys money out of the cot. Yeah, he got the missed cut money, didn't he? Is that right? No, no, it wasn't missed cut money. No, you sure? Because oh, actually, I thought that was fifteen thousand a few years ago. Anyway, that's, we could argue that all day. Um, the other little there were, did you see the the cringy. Interview that Bryce, uh, sorry, the um, hookup to his parents that they made Bryson go through after the round. No, I didn't. They had it on a. I, I'd switched over to watch Hannah. It was pretty scary. Blow up. Well, really, really awkward. But um, two losses there. Hannah didn't. Uh, well, I had two losses there too because would have been happy if Hannah had won it. But I was on Mel Reed, who I tipped last week in the oh, Golf so- Australia tipping column. So yeah, as, the, as a so-called expert, she was going terrific for two of the three rounds and. Uh, Overrun at the end, so there you so go. that's a good call from you. That was she was no, showing you, forms and and you yeah, such you a got good on. Yeah. She, I'm pretty sure Mel. If you're listening, you can confirm or deny. I'm I'm pretty sure she has some issues around the greens. You see her putting from some unusual spots. Oh, okay. At times, and we saw that at the Vic Open earlier this year, and indeed when she was in the playoff a couple of years ago when she won it. Ultimately, yeah, um, I was curious to see because she's so good from tee to green. She's phenomenal. Tee to green, she'd she be easily top ten of the world. Yeah, I stood behind her at that Vic Open in the playoff. She had the playoff with Sandra Gall, and they played that eighteenth hole. I think three times, regulation, then twice in the playoff. I stood behind her all three times over that second shot, and she just pulled this three wood out and proper players three wood, you know, shallow face and and just ripped these bullets at the green that were just a joy to watch, which we don't also get to see anymore from in the men's game. Amazing show. And all three of them just pitched two foot too short into the face and rolled back down. Everything ended short right. Short of the green, but yeah. just magnificent players. Just fantastic striking. Had the sound, you know, the proper sound of a properly struck golf shot. Great player to watch. She's got a really athletic swing too. And maybe, just maybe she needs to go to the Bryson School of Putting. I don't think it's the putting that's so much the issue. It's the bit between the tee and the the tee bit's good, the green bit's good. It's the little bit just next to the green where I think it might get a bit uh, bit iffy for it. But yeah, good player. I was uh, I was disappointed. So speaking of, uh, have we done with what else do we want to know from the US Open? No great performances from the Australians. I didn't think uh, Lucas Herbert might have been top Australian. I, I think, think in the end he was. Right. Yeah, made yeah. the cut, and, yeah. which was a good effort from him. Yeah, well done. Good He's yeah. a. I'll say it again. He's a better player than I gave him credit for a few years ago. No, probably not by coincidence the longest and strongest of the Australians. I think who were playing as well. So. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. It was a US Open that maybe set up pretty well for him. The other thing is I was a bit concerned Bryson wouldn't fit that ribbon around his neck at the end there. They give him the gold medal. You wouldn't have seen the medal ceremony. But I was a bit surprised. I was surprised. I thought he was a bit wondering, is this going to fit? Like, and he got it over his Like one of those choker like necklaces. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <That's right. laughs> to, to, to the metal you could garrot him, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, um, there you go. Oh, Breach, I think you wanted to. Did Patrick Reed break the rules? Oh, yeah. This has been contentious, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he broke the rules. He did, didn't he? Like, mm. it, it's just one of those things where people were saying, oh, there's nothing in that. But that's people have been conditioned to a whole new baseline of what's acceptable. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that, that wasn't acceptable. When, when do the rules not become the rules anymore? Yeah. I mean, you, you clearly see from that shot looking towards the club face, the ground or the grass behind the club looks like it's been patted down by an elephant's foot. Yeah. Um, you know, and look, I remember back to the Masters a few years ago when Kenny Perry got spotted back at the 17th green, patting down something that was, you know, a fraction of the height behind his ball. And, you know, everyone was, oh, you can't do that. Well, there's been hardly any of that at all with Patrick Reed doing what he did beside the green there. It's just unbelievable. Well, how about Bryson, a few, I think it was a memorial, smoothing out the grass before he took a drop on the spot where he was going to take a drop? On that hole where he had like eight or nine. Or something. Now, how, how is that any different to Craig Stadler getting done for putting a towel down so he doesn't get his pants dirty? Yeah. Things that. Playing a shot off his knees. Things that stained those players' careers. Like, the Kenny, Kenny Perry never lived that down. No. So he's still remembered for that. Well, I mean. BJ Singh, Colin Montgomery, Jumbo. Vision Bunker, Jumbo Ozaki. Jumbo Ozaki, you know. Mark McCumber. Mark McCumber. These things are so commonplace now that I think we're just being conditioned to look at that. Patrick Reed thing and go, oh, no, it's, there's nothing. Is it a reflection of the new world, this binary? You know, Trump's been the master of it. Um, do something outrageous. When you get caught, double down. Just double down and keep doing it. Mm. And eventually people will just end up shrugging their shoulders and saying, well. I just don't understand how he thinks he can. What? Obviously, or why? He, he has got away with it, Could but he he's so blatant. It's just I'll tell you what I don't get. This is what I really don't understand. Why? He is such a gifted player. You it's watch a compulsion, him, though. You watch him play, and it is an absolute joy, aside from wondering every time he stands over it, you know, in the rough or in a bunker, oh, well, ha- you know, has something untoward happened there. That aside, he's just he's, – he's if you're a golf fan, he's an absolute treat to watch. He's Agreed. a beautiful golfer. He's got- One of the commentators made an interesting point towards the end of the second round. Uh, I think it was maybe on the 15th or 16th, I can't recall, Reed was hitting out of the rough and he hit a hybrid or a, or a fairway wood. Mm. And the commentator said, gee, Patrick Reed's the only guy who's hit a, hit a wood out of the rough all week. <laughs> it's, and it makes me think now, it's, what, it's what was, was, any, was, was anyone watching? Mm. You know, it, it, it's unfortunate because you're right, Rod, he is – an immense talent, a great ball striker. But, but beyond that, there's something alluring. Watching him, I watched him at the President's Cup, I followed him in that first round. There is actually something really quite charismatic. You're drawn to watch him play in a way. When he picks up the club, he doesn't look like Kepka or Johnson or Adam Scott. He doesn't look like the athlete or anything. He looks like a little tubby bloke. Who, He's but a bit like. His arms are conveniently short. Maybe. They're the right shortness for golf. There's something about when he picks up a club, as soon as he makes connection with that club, it looks right. Even if it's wrong, it looks right. And he makes the magic. There's a guy. There's a guy who would win a US Open going away if my fantasy came true and a place like Wingfoot was just short Short grass grass all the way to the trees. He is one guy who could move the ball he and do all sorts of things. Lots of interesting shots. Yeah, yeah, big time. Schooled Rory in the last round of that Masters, both physically and mentally. That mm. was just a clinic. Uh, that Masters that he won a couple of years. Yeah, it's a, it really He'll, is a shame, isn't it? I'll go on record now. If, if he doesn't get some sort of stay away from the game from one of the governing bodies and he gets through, he'll win an Open Championship. He's certainly got enough talent to do it. This is what I don't get. He's got all that talent. You don't need to bring bad karma on yourself yeah. but by it's, doing it's things that are at best dodgy. You wrote a beautiful piece about him after that whole sand incident, which I thought really touched on. There's, there's some deep things going on there. Yeah, there's some sort but of nothing to do with golf. Shame to the whole thing, where if you admit to it, it, it happened. And yeah, he, didn't, he just won't admit to it. Bit of the psychology of Tiger and the whole, you know. Private life unraveling, wasn't it? There was elements of that. Why yeah. would you? Why would you? If you're the most recognisable person on the planet, <laughs> st- 
be be doing that and expecting to get away with it. You've got to yep. be thinking in the back of your mind, even subconsciously, surely at some point I've got to get caught and finally this can all come to an end. If you can't maintain – it's impossible to maintain a perfect public image, basically. Yeah. It's just impossible. So yeah, you've, well, something's got to give. And yeah. One of the joys of Rory, isn't it, that he doesn't try to. No, that's right. He owns his mistakes. He makes them and owns up to them and, you know, says, well, there you go. I shouldn't have done that. Oops. <laughs> Time to Look, move on. And in terms of Patrick Reed, I don't think you care what the public thinks. No, he couldn't give it. Well, it's few. But I wonder on whether or not you'll go home after that and be wary of what the other players think of him. And how that affects him. Mm, I don't know. He seems to just shrug I it off. I don't think he cares if people like him. In fact, I think he's at his best when he feels people don't like him. He's one of those people. Kepka's got a bit of that too. He's got to have the chip on his shoulder to yeah. be at his best. But at some point later in life, this normally happens, I wonder whether he will start to regret that people don't respect him. And that's what will happen. His fellow players don't respect him and they can't. You can't do what he did in the sand in the Bahamas and say, with all the talent he's got, oh, I didn't feel that. Because if that's true, you can't play golf the way he does. It's not possible. Yep. Those two things just can't can't be true. He's got legit he's got genuine magic in his hands. He's one of those guys. So he can't not feel that that's happened. And the other players know that, and he knows that they know that. And ultimately, he won't have the respect of other players. They'll acknowledge his victories and what a great player he is, but they'll be like, well, you know. There's a question mark over Patrick, and it's exactly what happened to Vijay Singh. People who know him will tell you he's the nicest bloke in the world. He's helped out lots and lots and lots of young players. But Vijay Singh's reputation has been stained by that incident in Indonesia in the 90s, and it will never go away. I'm just going to uh, throw some dispersion finally on Gil Hance's reputation. Yeah, well, this was going to be interesting. And uh, I, I just could, want to point out- This could be Adrian's last appearance on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I just want to point out he's ruined Wingfoot. And he's ruined Merion. The, all the photos I've seen of Merion just look exactly the same as this. And that wasn't set up for a for a championship. But that's, he also doesn't that's set him, the course up. That's him with the members and everyone. They're, they're all agreed. He's complicit. He's complicit in the whole thing. Okay. So Merion, Windfoot, two classic layouts that he's ruined. TPC uh, Boston a few weeks ago we saw, again, just choked out in rough. What's going on? Well, Oakland Hills he's doing now. And the whole talk about Oakland Hills is that he's setting it up so that it can be a, a, a major, major championship, championship venue again. And, uh, yeah, that's... So, a couple of things. At some point in the not-too-distant future, Gill's going to be here in Sydney working at Royal Sydney, and it's He's been my intention... clearly. <laughs> it's been my intention ever since that became known to have him come into the studio here and talk to us on the Good Good podcast. So that's going to be awkward for you because I can also tell you, having met Gil Hands, he's about six foot five, yeah. and he will crush you like a bug. The thing is, there's... On every project, and we all know this, and it's one of the things I find fascinating about golf course architecture because you know this from your own work that there's constraints in every single project you do which you've got no control over and if somebody takes the time to ask you about it you can explain the thinking that went into the decision and whether you're happy with it or not there was a rationale that led to that result and I think that's something we can all relate to and that definitely happens in golf course architecture why did they do that it's because of this this and that but now there's this there's this consistent track record that he's setting up the courses that he's been involved in have all got this look with the bunkers in the rough. Not all, but they're starting to take on that look with the bunkers in the rough and ridiculously narrow fairways and the agronomy and the sub-air systems. Marion, I think, has got the sub-air systems as well. And it's just like everything's getting watered and, and fertilised right out to the edges of the course. And it's yeah, the one, what's the common denominator? It's Gil Hance. Well, well, we'll sell tickets for everybody else, but Beige, I'm inviting you now to become come and have a front row seat to the episode where Gil sits in the room with myself and Logue to discuss some of these feeling, topics. I might, I might feel a bit ill. I, I, come down I, with some illness. In Gil's defence, no, don't defend him. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just putting this out there. I'm just putting this out there that, that to get the job of redoing, we'll use Wingfoot. There would have been certain parameters that the members would have said the esteemed members, the esteemed members of Wingfoot, not negotiable. Would it, were, it was yeah, exactly non-negotiable. Yeah, that's why I'm, why I made that point. But I, it's just it's <laughs> happening again and again. Is the thing but, I'm concerned about. Yeah, uh, I I tend to think that it goes against. Like we only, you only have to look back to the course he created at the Olympics at Rio. Phenomenal, and that 
is more along the lines of his theories of, of course design. Um, what's going on with these US Open style courses? I suspect that there's input from the USGA. They go to Wingfoot and say, if you want a US Open, it's got to be like this. They get Gil Hansen, well, we want to have a US Open. You've got to design it and, and restore it like this. Well, it's not at restoring because Tillinghast learnt how to design golf courses by going to Scotland. He certainly didn't come back and go, well, you need six-inch rough. All the bunkers need to be in the rough so that the only time you go in there is when you hit hit it in there on the fly. Um, and we're going to build greens that have got lots of movement in them, but we're going to run them at 13 on the stint meter. Wow, how much fun is that going to be? So, yeah. Gill's kind of the way the course is set up has exposed the design, the worst aspects of the design. Yeah. But that, to have the first green running at a different speed to the rest of the golf course, mm. that's ridiculous. Mm. BJ's afraid of Gill hands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's pandering Gil, to Gil hands Gil apologist. apologist. That's We've right. Got, yeah. I'm, I'm a Mike Wan apologist. You're a yep. Gill hands apologist. Everybody's got to be something in Logue's world. It's got to be black and white. It's a very oh. binary place. If you're not with us, you must be well, against us. That's look, you only have to look at how Royal Melbourne was set up for not this most recent President's Cup, but the way it was set up for the World Cup and the President's Cup prior to that is that the PGA Tour came in and they oh god that's ran roughshod over over the setup and it was not set up like Royal Melbourne should be set up. So there's an did they come in and bring the the tour's standard sand to replace the sand in the oh bunkers? Good <laughs> Good Lord. How good was it last time? To just say it again, what an absolute treat Royal Melbourne was at this President's Cup last year. And, and that's all credit to Matt Kaminsky, who yep. was yep. was sympathetic to the to the ideals of Royal Melbourne. I wonder and, whether and he also came a, honorary Australian. I wonder whether he came around to that, Matt, after spending an awful long time here in Australia and yeah. developing an appreciation for what the golf course could be. Yes. We talked about this last week. The lack of genuine golf IQ at a lot of the professional bodies because it's the last thing they think about. It's the last piece of the puzzle is the golf course and how it should present. They're thinking about logistics and sponsors and grandstands and all the stuff that goes with putting on a tournament except for the golf course. Mm. And there's many more people in the organisation who deal with that side of stuff than those who can stop and look, for example, at the A&A last week and say, yeah, that wall doesn't look right. <laughs> how did that? How did someone not say, yeah, that wall doesn't look right. We really should take that down. Um, or should never have put that up in the – there's not enough of those people in golf. It sounds ridiculous to say, but there's not enough golf IQ in professional golf organisations, I think. And maybe Matt came around to seeing the joys of golf there as a golfer. I mean, lived there for a long time and played a lot of golf around the sand belt. You can't do that and then just say yes to someone who says, well, what we should do is grow the rough up here and do that. He's like, no, 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 no. <laughs> You're going to ruin it. It's much better when it's this like it is most of the year round. So, yeah. Um, it's kind of what happened for us, wasn't it, Beach? We went to the UK all those years ago. No, it certainly happened for me. Grew up playing all my golf in Sydney. Went to the UK, and within a week was like, first first exposure is like, what's this? This isn't golf. And within a week, you're like, wow, why isn't all golf like this? This is amazing. Well, I think so we played five, five or six rounds in the first three days and came to the realisation that, that the ground game was just so much fun. Absolutely. Because you just don't have it here in Sydney, and really, and in fairness, much of that's to do with the the type of geology, terrain. I guess yeah. you call it. It's it's a clay-based city. Yeah, well, that, a lot of your grass. Yeah, and I, it's, so. it's it's the agronomy. It's Kaikuya, and that's the grass that grows best here. Yeah, so you can't sort of. And all of those courses who've tried a kike eradication program to replace with Cooch in Sydney have spent huge sums of money for no result. Oh, yeah, best to but lean kike, into the kike. It can, yeah. You cannot be defeated. It, uh, it will provide. All right, there you go. That was the US Open and some of the big picture stuff. that we went. A couple of things I want to mention before we finish up here. Uh, I want to give a shout-out to Steph Kiriakou. I was there at Bonville when she won as an amateur. Talk about schooling people in the last round. Her final round was just a thing of absolute – well, I was shocked by it. I suspect at the time she might have been a bit shocked by it, or I thought so at the time. But having a look at her results, she said her third top five in three starts as a professional – uh, away in a bubble, COVID-19 on the latest European to a staggeringly good performance. So good on Steph Kiriaka, really no lovely young girl too. So she is proving to be something special. And the last thing I wanted to mention was a golfing highlight. Not mine, of course. Well, you have one. I had a 
oh, very minor golfing highlight during the week. I got away from my home course and just had a quick hit at Wallara Golf Club, uh, which I tweeted about briefly. But it's a it's a lovely spot. It was really We've talked about it before. It's really a fan- great atmosphere there. It's, isn't it? Nine it's hole. right to be Sydney's winter park. Ta- talking it? about Royal Sydney, it's right next door to Royal Sydney on very similar terrain. Uh, so it's got the sandy base. It could be transformed into something amazing if Gil Hans doesn't get his hands on it. Oh! But, yeah. <laughs> get some placards made up. But Keep it's a, hands out. It's a great- Hands um, off. Great little atmospheric place. As, this, as you go out onto the course, there's this beautiful croquet club oh, with no. a, like a logwood um, cabin. cabin thing. And uh, you've got the, the shops on O'Sullivan Road there, which have a great vibe about it. And then you get out to the far end and the, you've got some harbour views and then you sort of track back in and you go past this oval, which is always vibrant with activity. And uh, uh, when there's a game on there, it's actually incredibly exciting just to be playing golf alongside that. Well, it's the thrill of maybe hitting one in there, into the middle of a rugby <laughs> That's game. That's right. Yeah. And there's a little community garden there as well. And, and the golf is actually pretty good. Yeah. It's, um, it's a little bit short, but there's some pretty dramatic sort of greens and it's it's interesting place it's really a lot of fun i enjoyed playing could, Wallara. could it be sydney's winter park could be yeah well, I think it's, it's, got it's coming from a better base than winter park like it's already a better go- golf course than what winter park was before the renovation a lot better actually a much better piece of land and uh it doesn't actually need nearly as much work done to it um as what winter park had done to it so and I've, it's got a lot more going for it mm-hmm. like there's all of those little uh those little phases you pass through as you go around the course where you're going past this shopping village and you're going past the Oval. And it's there's a lot more interesting stuff to look at at Wallara than Winter Park, which has these good road crossings through a very nice suburb, but that's that's all it has. It's, it's got. There's already aspects of it too at Wallara, isn't there, where people already wander across the course. It's sort of public access and non-golfers wander through it to get from one place to the which is that's a bit, right. bit dangerous at times, but it seems to work. You know, no, especially that fence along O'Sullivan's Road. There's It's a very low fence, which you can just hop over with your dog. Yep. And there's a sort of a pathway there with some big trees that protect the road there. And people can walk their dog across there. And if they do it often enough, they know just to look and yeah. make sure that look second tee is right. clear before they go across. And then they can walk across the fairways. And Most of the golfers know that. To keep an eye out for people emerging from the trees as well. It's very good so. place too. When oh, we that was crazy how many people time. were there. And the guy said, it's just booked out the entire time. You've got to actually book in advance. Well, you just turned up, didn't you? You just, I just turned up. Turn up, which you used to be able to do. You just turned yeah. up at Wallara on a and summer we're, afternoon. Well, lucky enough that he fitted us in. But the, um, doesn't he know who you are? No, he didn't. He didn't know who I was. <laughs> it still probably doesn't. <laughs> no, he's no idea. Um, and uh, but he fitted us in. He said, oh, no, usually the only time we can get anybody in is if like on the very tail end of the members comp, if a few members drop out, drop out. that's the only free tea wow. times we have the entire week. Fantastic. So very busy Good little nine-holer right next to Royal Sydney and, um, yeah, probably doing a lot more for golf. Than yeah. When was the last time we <laughs> played a lot of other places? I used to play Wallara quite a bit because I lived in the eastern suburbs for quite a while at my brother's place at Bondi. Uh, so I used to go up there. Most of the blokes who didn't play much golf, Hendo, who we both know, a mate of ours from our News Limited days, we always go and play with him and... Uh, but I used to play there quite a bit. We, we would have played there, you and I, at some point. You and I never, ever played at Wallara. You're joking. But we played at Bondi. Oh, played at Bondi. Bondi's next on the list for a little game, Thursday, Thursday is, afternoon game. Bondi is, uh, is a very interesting and fun golf course. Yeah, great fun. You probably get around there just taking three clubs. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of fun. you could. Yeah, you could. A lot of fun. A lot of wind. Yeah. Right up there on the clifftops overlooking. And it's hard and fast, so it makes it interesting. It is hard and fast. It's absolutely all of that stuff. All right, well, that's, uh, that's, did you have a golf highlight for the week, Beach? Did you play this week, this past week? Uh, my golfing highlight is I hit, I went and practiced my chipping uh-huh. during the week. and then Two no, hands or just the one? And then no shanks. So that's just, that's a highlight. Cured. Yeah. You're back. All good. There you go. Senior tour, here you come. Um, you had a one-handed chipping period there. Yeah, football. if any anyone who's uh, who's hitting skulls and fat, yep. and your right hand, my attention, just grip it with your right hand. Just maintain that, maintain like a maybe a sixty five degree wrist angle, and just swing your arm. Did we and see Hideki doing that on the driving range? One of the rounds I turned on the US Open app. I had the might have been at the range, and they were showing Hideki. He was hitting one handed. Pitches more. Yeah, he subscribes to Golf Australia magazine. (laughs) Maybe he's got some problems. (laughs) There you go. Well, what I can tell you is that the flop shot off the downhill lie over the back of the fourth green at um, 
where were we? Corowa? Corowa Golf Corowa Golf Club in the foursomes. I Beach was having his one handed chipping phase and I I knifed one over the back of the green. This downhill lie across the valley up to the green. The one-handed flop shot is a very difficult <laughs> shot to pull off. <laughs> but I think you managed it from memory, so it was well done. Uh, terrific stuff. Uh, episode 50 in the books. Thank you, Logue. Thank Enjoyed you, Rod. Along, as always, um, looking forward to that episode with Gil Hands now. Really quite keen for that. And, uh, Beach, terrific to have you in the studio, mate. We should get you here more often because you're just across the road. So pleasure to be here mate we've really enjoyed it always do and that's it for episode 50 of the good good golf podcast we'll be back to do it all again next week with episode 51 